So this is time where Christ Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem for the, his final acts of his sacrifice for us. In our passage here, we will be reading about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem as the king. This passage also includes where he weeps over Jerusalem for her sin and how she does not repent of it. So we'll read together, starting at verse 28 to verse 44. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered, I tell you, if these were silent the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Lost far from God's holy word. So let us now sing in preparation from hymn 14, stanzas 1, 5, and 9. We turn now to the Old Testament, to our text, to Micah chapter 1. Like is a minor prophet, he spoke during the days of King Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. You can find the book of Micah after the book of Jonah and before the book of Nahum. And I'd like to read together with you the first chapter of this book. This is a time of prophecy, of judgment. The Lord brought three different lawsuits against his people Israel and against their leaders for their wrongdoings, for their idolatry. And this chapter introduces the first of these lawsuits, the first of these indictments. Micah is also a book of mercy, for after each lawsuit, the Lord speaks about what he will do in turn for his remnant. So Micah 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, 
kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters pour down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals, and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath. Weep not at all. In Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shephir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zainan do not come out. The lamentation of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Meroth wait anxiously for good. Because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Akzib shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Mereshah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Thus far the word of our Lord God. After the sermon, I invite you to rise if you are able to sing together from hymn 70, stanzas 1 through 4. We love congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we have just read together from the prophecy of Micah. And Michael was a minor prophet when the Assyrians were rising to power. Michael lived in the land of Judah in a time of turmoil. There were wars. There were rumors of wars. Syria and Egypt and Assyria and Babylon were all fighting with each other. They were all vying for power. 
They were fighting. They were testing each other's boundaries. And at the same time, Israel and Judah themselves were constantly at odds with each other. They were trying to get the upper hand. And these kings and generals and armies, they would come and they would go. And through it all, the people of Israel went about their day-to-day lives. Regular men and women carried lives on. People just like you and me went about their days working in the fields, tending their flocks, working in the cities. They had goals. They had dreams. They wanted to be successful. They wanted their children to be successful. And they wanted to get ahead in life despite all the uncertainty that was around them. To this end, a major issue for the Israelites in Micah's days was whom they would choose to serve. With the world powers around them vying for control, there was a lot of uncertainty about what to do, about whom to trust. Should Israel serve the gods of Syria or Egypt? Perhaps the gods of Assyria would serve them best. Should they stick with the God of their father, Abraham? If they wanted to get ahead in life, if they wanted to succeed, if they wanted to have the best option, they wouldn't have to serve whomever would give them the best chance. Who promised the most? Who looked like they would give the best? And brothers and sisters, Israel would end up turning away from the Lord and serving other gods as they tried to do that. And as a result, Micah is a book of divine judgment against idolatry, against rebellion. It speaks out against serving other gods, about acting unjustly, about corruption, about ritualism. It is a prophecy in which the Lord condemns the selfish pursuit of personal gain. A pursuit that results in rebelling against serving the Lord, against keeping His commands. As a result, his judgment is hot. His anger is fierce. Micah uses a lot of metaphors and images to portray what would happen. Yet Micah is also a book about deliverance. Following each section of judgment, following each section of woe and condemnation comes apart on God helping his remnant. Micah is aptly named. His name means, who is like the Lord? The Israelites could turn to the other gods, but they do not compare to the Lord of hosts. His judgment may be fierce, but his mercy is tender. And the book of Micah brings us across beautifully. So this morning, I bring you this first chapter of Micah with the following theme and points. The Lord comes to judge his people for their idolatry. We'll see first how his coming brings judgment. And secondly, how his coming brings lament. The book of Micah opens by very clearly and plainly stating its purpose. The word of the Lord that came to Micah. And this is a sign of divine revelation. This is a clear indication that Micah is a prophet of God. Is very specific, very direct, 
and it includes a time and a reason. Micah received the prophecy from the Lord in the days of the kings of Judah concerning the capitals of Israel and Judah. And the prophecies that would follow, they had a purpose, an intent from the Lord for his people. These were no words of some man. There is no beating around the bush with this opening. This is a prophecy from the Almighty God for his covenant people, the children of Abraham. And having established the time and the purpose of this prophecy, Micah launches straight into the heart of the matter. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention O earth and all that is in it. He addresses the entire world to witness what is about to happen. And beloved, this is a call not just to the Israelites living in Israel and in Judah, but it is for everyone, everywhere. The Lord is God of the entire world. And when he comes to bring judgment for sin, everyone is made aware of it. The call to hear is also a call to action. Hear what the Lord is doing and respond in kind. Hear the Lord's judgment and repent, or you will face the same fate. This is not a matter for bystanders to glance by as they walk and then go on their ways. This is a matter for everyone, everywhere, to take to heart exactly what the Lord God is doing and why He is doing it. Behold, He comes. The Lord is coming out of His place. Verses 3 and 4 paint a picture of this coming, the coming of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, it is a terribly awesome scene. The Lord comes from on high, from heaven, down to earth. This shows that the earth is below the Lord and that everyone that dwells on the earth is below the Lord. Even when He is coming down, He still treads on the high places. And these high places were holy spots for worshipping pagan gods since the hills and the mountaintops were above everything else. These high places set them above others and they would give them a lofty position. And yet even these places so high and mighty are so low when compared to the Lord God. They're so low that the Lord had to come down just to put His feet upon them. And when the Lord comes, the earth literally trembles. The mountains melt before Him. The valleys split like wax melting before the fire. Mount Sinai smoked when the Lord spoke to Israel. And the Israelites were so afraid that they asked Moses to take God's message so they wouldn't have to keep listening to his terrible voice. Even the ground that we walk on, so firm and stable, is like water that is poured out before the Lord. And this imagery that Micah uses shows just exactly how great, how mighty, and how majestic God is. And how truly terrifying it will be when He comes. And this scene where the Lord comes in power and majesty sets the tone for the purpose of His coming. We read that all this is for the transgression of Jacob, for the sins of the house of Israel. God's covenant people, the children of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, had sinned. And the prophecy lists the transgressions. Samaria, 
and Jerusalem. And these were the two capital cities of the two nations, Israel and Judah. And as such, they represented Israel and Judah. And they stood accused for their transgressions. Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. It was built by King Omri and later on expanded by King Ahab. Baal worship, idolatry, was prominent in this city. The first king of Israel, Jeroboam, had set up golden calves as idols in Israel to replace having to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship the Lord God. And they never truly turned back from that. Israel was filled with unrest because of this. Many of the Israelite kings didn't reign for very long. The few kings like Jeroboam and Ahab, who did rule longer, had reigns that were filled with famine, with war, and with suffering. King Asa, who was king in Jerusalem, the great-grandson of Solomon, would see seven different Israelite kings come and go to the north. The Lord gave up Israel because of Jeroboam's sin, as Ahijah the prophet foretold in 1 Kings 14. And this idolatry, this refusal to serve the Lord God in the way that he should be served, would be the reason for Israel's punishment. And the Israelites had turned to Baal. They were looking for something that they did not think that they had in the Lord our God. They wanted a God that they could see. Baal was a God that they could set up. Baal was a God who promised them healthy children, bountiful harvests. Baal promised well-being and wealth in return for service. Israel looked at the nations that surrounded them, and they saw that they served Baal, and they saw that these other nations were doing well. And this was Israel's line of thinking. What does the Lord God exactly promise? It's true that He promises His presence and His blessing. But what does that mean? Why can't the Lord God be as direct as Baal? If we give sacrifices to Baal, we see where it goes. And we know exactly what He promises us in return. And this is easy. All the other nations around us are doing it. My brothers and sisters, Israel was not alone in this thinking. Micah's prophecy dealt with Judah as well. It's true that Israel would be taken into captivity first. And yes, Judah would be spared for a time. But Jerusalem is also guilty. Jerusalem had become a high place like no other. For this was Zion, the city of God. This was the place where the temple was built. This was where the presence of God had descended to be in the midst of His people. And yet it had become just like the other nations. King Jotham did what was right before the Lord, but he did not make the people of Judah do the same. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And later we can read in 2 Kings 16 how his own son, King Ahaz, worshipped at those high places. King Ahaz even had the bronze altar that was before the temple moved over to the side. And he had a special altar that was modeled after the altar in Damascus. The temple of God in Jerusalem was renovated to get with the times and to be like the nations around. 
we can see that there was a lot of idolatry in the land of Israel and Judah. Brothers and sisters, the people of God had turned away from Him. They were jealous of the other nation's wealth and prosperity. They wanted more money for themselves. They wanted to be important. They wanted a God that they could see, a God they could trust, or a God they could touch, a God who was straightforward. An empty image that you gave images to, gave things to and got things in return. In short, brothers and sisters, they wanted a slot machine. They did not want the Lord. Therefore, the Lord makes a firm promise in verses 6 and 7. The result of their sin would be destruction. And Samaria is highlighted first here. Jerusalem and the cities of Judah would, are not mentioned yet. But concerning Samaria, we have some very vivid imagery. Samaria is to be reduced to a heap in the open country. The capital of the entire kingdom, where the king ruled, where the courts gathered. A bustling city with thousands of people doing their work. Reduced to nothing. Samaria would be destroyed. It would become a place of ruins instead of a city. And it's called a heap, just like how farmers gather rocks every spring from their fields and toss them into unwanted piles in order to keep the field clean for the crops. Micah calls it a place for planting vineyards. Vineyards are planted in open hills. So the hill that Samaria was built on would be completely leveled. No buildings, no city, and therefore free for a vineyard. What once was a great city would no longer be a city. And the stones that made her walls and her buildings, the Lord promised to roll down into the valley. There would be nothing left of this city. No two stones would be stacked together. All the evidence of this prosperous city would be gone. And what is more, the carved images in the idols would be smashed and burned. The very evidence of Israel's sin and rebellion would become a source of their punishment. Israel's wages would be destroyed. Her hard work laid to waste. All the promises of Baal would go down the drain. And there would be nothing left. For Israel's rebellion would be judged by the Lord of hosts. Micah uses here an analogy of a prostitute. Just like the prophet Hosea does. The prosperity of the pagan people around Israel was envied by them. And so they worshipped their gods. They cheated on the Lord. Rather than being loyal to God, Israel gave herself over to idol worship. By becoming like a prostitute, Israel thought that she would become rich. But this path only led to the wealth in Samaria being taken away by the people who served the very gods Israel tried to win over by serving. By adopting pagan worship for herself, Israel would end up giving to the pagans what she had wanted for herself. Everything would be destroyed. Everything would be taken away. Her selfish ambition would be brought to nothing. And this is the judgment of our God, brothers and sisters. The Assyrians did come. They did destroy Samaria. The northern kingdom was led into captivity. Their wealth and their prosperity 
were destroyed. All of their ambitions, their hopes, their dreams came to nothing. By serving someone or something other than the Lord, the Israelites hoped to become better. And yet the opposite happened. The call of the Lord goes out. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. The punishment of Israel was a warning, not just to the Israelites living in Judah, but for everyone. The Lord warns us against rebellion. The Lord warns us against idolatry. Israel wanted what Baal had to offer. Lots of children, lots of grain, lots of wine. They wanted better lives with more stuff. And this idolatry is not unlike the materialism of today. It's so easy to get caught up in pursuing a future in the here and in the now. There's school to go to, courses to take, careers to advance. We have houses to build, homes to renovate, to upgrade. We have vehicles and phones and computers and clothes to buy. We have restaurants and vacations and movies and games to enjoy. There is so much for us to do. There is so much for us to accomplish. There is forever a push for more, more, more. Our businesses need more attention. Our schools need more work. Our degrees need more studying. Our vacation budgets need more money. It's true that working hard is not sinful. It is even lauded in Scripture. Pursuing a goal is virtuous. However, doggedly chasing the rat race is not. Here, the Lord comes to judge. Be on guard, beloved, against joining the rat race for a better life in the here and the now. Listen to the Lord's warning that you do not follow Israel and set up for yourself an idol that promises a tangible Lord. The Lord loves you. The Lord cares for you. And so do not worry about what tomorrow will bring. He clothes the lilies of the field and he cares for the sparrows in their nest. So how much more will he care for you as his beloved child? The path of idolatry, of serving money, does not lead to true happiness. Turning from the Lord ultimately results in destruction and reason for lament. We'll see this in our second point. Brothers and sisters, Micah makes clear the result of this destruction. Mourning. He weeps for what happens. And he shows the judgment's impact upon himself. He publicly weeps and he makes his sorrow known. He says that he will go stripped and naked, wearing nothing but his underwear, not even clothes to protect his feet from the rocks. Now losing the outer garments... And taking off your shoes was a typical response for someone who was in deep grief. In our text, Micah is making known to everyone around him his sorrow for what is to happen to Samaria. And he attaches two metaphors to make this clearer. Jackals, they make wailing noises. And ostriches give shrill and long-drawn cries. Micah would not be grieving quietly. He will be loud about it. 
everyone around him in Judah would hear it. And the main reason for this lament in Judah is that Israel would not be alone in their punishment. Micah's prophecy had just condemned Samaria for her sin and idolatry. And Micah realizes that Judah also will not be spared. Israel's wound is incurable, a complete corruption because of their sin. And brothers and sisters, the evil is not limited to those high places in the north, but to every one of Abraham's descendants. They were all guilty of sin, and idolatry had come to Judah, even to, into Jerusalem. All of the southern cities would end up in mourning. The disaster that would happen in Israel would end up in Judah as well. And Micah says not to speak of it in Gath. Gath was a Philistine city, and they would end up rejoicing at the destruction of Judah. There would be no tears there for Israel and Judah. But the rest of the cities would have a different story. Micah here in our text is not saying that the mourning would be limited to the cities that follow in our text. But those cities in our text were chosen to represent Judah. And he uses some wordplay to bring it across. Bethlehem Ephrath, which means house of dust, would show its signs of mourning by rolling about in the dust. Shafir comes from the Hebrew word for beauty, and they would be humiliated by having to walk naked. So Anan is the same as Zenan, which is tweaked to sound a bit more like came forth. For Zenan would not be able to come forth to weep for others, for the destruction of weeping would also be found there. Beth Ezel, which is near Jerusalem, and means near, is not close enough will have to weep instead for itself. Maroth, which comes from bitter, awaits anxiously for the good that will never come to her, leaving her bitter. All of this weeping, all of this mourning is because disaster had come from the Lord's hand to the gates of Jerusalem. And the next five cities in our passage are cities that are further away. They mark how the nation is diminished how it shrinks rather than grows because of its idolatry. Rather than placing their trust in the Lord and being saved, beloved, they are faded away because of their sin. Lachish was a city that was on the border between Judah and Israel. And they were swift to follow Israel into their idolatry. And they would need to put that swift action into use for harnessing chariots to flee the upcoming doom. Morsheth Gath was named because it had fallen under Philistine control for a time. And now they would have to say farewell once more. Only this time it would not be reclaimed. Axib means lying and true to their name would prove to be deceitful for Israel. Unable to help in a time of need. Merishah is inheritance. And by bringing a conqueror a new heir is placed. And the last place, Adalam, is in the foothills, meaning locked up. And that's where the glory of Israel will end up. Be cornered, locked up, diminished from its former glory in the days of Solomon. So Micah is not showing the order of the cities that would fall, brothers and sisters. And these are not the only cities that would fall. 
Rather, they are representative of the destruction that would come and the weeping for the entire land that would result. And the chapter concludes with a call for weeping, a call for mourning. Shaving your head was a way of removing a crown, a way of removing your hair. It's perhaps one of the strongest methods for grieving. Micah calls for grieving as the children of Israel and Judah would go into exile for their sins. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning we also read from Luke 19. We read of Jesus Christ's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, the city of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The crowds shouted. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, was coming into Jerusalem to deal with sin once and for all. The Lord came from heaven as a witness to all about the result of sin. For the wages of sin is death. And yet despite Christ's triumphant entry amidst praise and adoration, Jesus stopped and he wept. He knew that Jerusalem would not recognize him as their savior. He knew that they would continue in their idolatry and ritualism. He knew that he would be crucified by them. He knew that they would end up being destroyed. Jesus Christ wept for Jerusalem, the city that had already been destroyed after Micah's prophecy. And he wept for her again, just as Micah did, as the city would be destroyed again. He would prophesy about her destruction, just as Micah did in Luke 21. Jesus weeps for Jerusalem, knowing that she would not repent of her sins. His destructions could be avoided if they trusted in him and sought their salvation in him. And the destruction of Israel was a warning to Judah that they would face the same destruction. And this doom did come to Judah. And they were led into Israel, into exile. Their sins could not be atoned for, except in Jesus Christ. Beloved, sin is a reason for weeping. True repentance is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. And we put the old nature to death when we grieve the sins that we commit and we strive to flee away from them. And these are everyday sins. Sins like slacking off at work or swearing or getting angry at referees. Sins like snapping at your children in patience or refusing to do what your parents tell you to do. Sins like watching pornography or listening to songs that blaspheme. We need to hear the Lord's warning and to turn away from our sins. And watching someone else turn away from their from the Lord and to harden themselves in sin is also cause for grief. When he or she does not take refuge in Jesus Christ, their idolatry will end up in their death and destruction. Brothers and sisters, weep for those who do not believe in Jesus. Weep for those who harden themselves in sins. We must tell them that they need to believe in order to be saved from the coming destruction. Brothers and sisters, the call of the Lord to hear and to listen to this judgment is for all peoples, for all nations. It is for everyone that is on the earth. Everyone stands condemned under God's judgment. Everyone has committed the sin of idolatry. If people do not turn to Jesus for salvation, then the wrath of God will come down upon them. 
It is imperative, brothers and sisters, that we tell them of the gospel or they remain condemned. And how can they hear if we do not tell them? And finally, beloved, we know that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and that he has been raised from the dead and that he has ascended into heaven and sits and thrown on high. And that when he comes, he comes on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. He comes with power and with glory. He comes from on high to tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will tremble before him. And every knee shall bow. If we do not have our trust in him, he will condemn. If we trust in him, then this destruction will pass over us. But if trust is found somewhere else, those idols will burn just like the idols of Israel did. And there will be much weeping. Cling to Christ and he will pardon you in the final judgment, the ultimate fulfillment of Micah's prophecy. Amen.